Welcome to QWERTY Writing Life Podcast, where we have candid chats about our creative lives. This is May. And I'm Joy. For more information about our podcast, monthly newsletter, or author resource series, visit us at QWERTYWritingLife.com. That's QWERTY, spelled Q-W-E-R-T-Y. It's the first six letters on your keyboard. So, are you ready? Grab your tea. Or your coffee. And let's chat. Hello, everyone. It's another week. Hello and welcome. Tonight, we're going to continue our series on creative hacks. And we're going to focus on efficiency for craft. But before we do that, let's talk about our creative weeks. Joy, what did you do? Well, I am currently finishing the second round of edits on Every Good Thing while it is out in the wild with some beta readers. So we're getting close, people. So excited. Anytime you can see tangible progress, it's always fun. And it's so exciting. Yes. (laughs) It so is. Oh, yes. (laughs) So what about you? Tell us about your creative week. Uh, I had a couple of things going on. One of them happened right before we pushed record on this <laughs> on this podcast episode. But uh, one of the things that I have been doing this week has been being a guest author on a summer reading exchange program, which was hosted by Joy E. Rangator herself. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun getting to interact with your readers and the people who like follow you for these summer challenges is a kind of bit of a tradition hasn't it is this your third year it's my fourth year actually i know i was surprised by that too at the beginning of the summer i was like trying to add it up i was like oh my goodness (laughs) it's been a while (laughs) and it's a competition folks so it's they get they get competitive in it And it's a lot of fun to be kind of whooshed up in the middle of all of that with those social media posts and the questions and answering the questions and uh, reading other people's answers and commenting on that and getting to know people that I've never known before. So, yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun doing that. And then the super, super fun, and while I have this goofy smile on my face, (laughs) is because Joy and I were brainstorming on an idea that my husband and I came up with last night we ate sushi last night we were sitting there and I was like Brent we need to we need to have a southern sushi place in my books and all of the roles need to be named something extremely southern (laughs) so we started coming up with names and things so I was telling Joy about that and so I was like I've got to come up with a good name for the restaurant though because it's just, I couldn't do that last night. I couldn't do it. And so we were batting names back and forth and making each other laugh and, and having a good old time with that. I think we might have maybe come up with a name. I'm going to sleep on it for a little bit. Uh, yeah, I love, uh, brainstorming is one of my favorite things. It's one of my favorite things is where all the ideas, you get to just lay them out on the table and kind of sift through them and see where the treasures are. And I love that. Yes. <laughs> brainstorming is the best and especially when you're coming up with names and on something fun like this it's just such a blast and it's always better to brainstorm with a friend it just is (laughs) yes somebody who already kind of knows your sense of humor because otherwise it might not be so much fun (laughs) (laughs) that's true (laughs) 
but yeah, we got to we got to come up with a few things, googled a little bit of Japanese translations, and we're surprised on a couple of things. So, yeah. <laughs> when the books come out and everything, I'll have to let you guys know what we went with. But <laughs> either way, it was a whole lot of fun. Thank you for that, Joy. Oh, you are welcome. Thank you for sharing it with me because, oh my goodness, of course, now I want sushi, which, you know, really stings because now I can't get sushi. <sighs> well, it is a little late here, so we're it running is. at about 1030 at night. So we're either delusional or really hungry. <laughs> I don't know which one yet. But <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, or both. We could be both. True. <laughs> so let's dive right into our topic. And that is, again, the creative hacks and efficiency for craft. Writers are kind of where we're focusing here because that's what we are. Um, but you can also kind of take the ideas that we talk about for writing as creative medium and twist and turn and look at it from different perspectives, evaluate it, and see how it can fit into your medium. Our first creative hack for craft is going to be look at critique partners. <laughs> so yeah. we did an episode, I think it was like a, a three or four part episode. Five? It might have been five. No, it was part. six. Six? It was six. There was six parts. Yeah. We had so much to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> and we followed because we followed uh, the chapter breakdowns in our book, I believe. That's right. That's right. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. I feel a little embarrassed that I didn't remember, but you know, tis life. So it's that whole 1030 at night thing again. It could very well be. It could very well be. But uh, so we did it. Uh, we changed our book about finding and keeping your writing critique partner. And we altered those principles to tailor toward creative critique partners. And so no matter your medium, this could, be, could very well be a, an option for you. And some of the things that we found out is, first of all, the techniques that we have in our book are evergreen. Second of all, they can be tailored to creative mediums other than writing. And uh, and so we're going to share a few of those ideas with you here and also link to the series in the show notes. So one of the things that we think critique partners can help you with is to learn faster. So you're learning something new all the time and your partner is learning something new all the time. And the cool thing about being a creative critique partner is that you have conversations about these new things that you're learning. And so you're able to share and so deepen the knowledge that you have already gotten on the new thing that you're learning. You're able to share that with your critique partner so they can have that level of knowledge that you have. And then also they can share with, with, with you what they are learning and then they deepen their level of knowledge based off of what the new things that they're learning. And you get to not, an idea of whether you want to research that deeper, try it out, do some practice, or maybe you guys want to practice together and see if this is something that fits both of you. It's really interesting how that happens because that level of discovery it's sometimes hard and it takes us a little bit long, you know, a long time to do if we have to do the research initially, but you have a partner there who's already done the research on the thing that they're learning. And then you've done the research on the thing that you're learning and you're just sharing that information. It's pretty great. Yeah. Also, you have different experiences too. So it's not just the new things that you're discovering that you haven't tried yet, but it can be things that you have already learned in life or, uh, have experienced vicariously through someone else that you can share that lesson with your critique partner as well and vice versa. Yeah. 
So there's so many things that you're learning um, with the critique partner. And so you end up doing more learning faster. And we love that. Yep. And it's definitely played out that way for us. I mean, I can't, I, I was sitting here and I was thinking of time after time where this has happened with us, where, you know, one of us has been researching something and then we're able to share it with the other, you know, mm-hmm. also, you know, with your strengths, um, each partner in a, whether it's writers or another medium, each partner is going to have certain strengths that the other one may not have, um, or may not be as good at. And so, you know, you can improve based on learning and observing, uh, what your partner's doing and, and how good they're doing that certain thing. So yes, all about the critique partners. Yes. And one of the things that Joy and I suggest in the book is to, uh, when you're choosing a critique partner, to look at their their strengths and their weaknesses and see how they compare to yours. Because if you have the same strengths and the same weaknesses, then you just need to be aware of it before you partner up so that you know where you both need to learn. Or if you choose somebody who has different strengths than you and maybe can build upon you know, build you up where you're weak, then that also could be a really good partnership if all the other stars align along with the number of personalities and the level of attention to uh, literary detail or other creative medium detail and like where they want to go with their career. There's a whole lot of things that you really need to take into consideration whenever you are choosing your critique partner, but your strengths and weaknesses is definitely one of them. Yeah, definitely. So um, another creative hack for you guys as far as efficiency for craft. Um, So the thing with your craft, whatever that is, you can constantly be learning, right? We always have something new to learn about whatever it is that we do. And The beauty is we live in an age where we have technology and YouTube University has pretty much anything (laughs) that you might want to learn, right? And it's all at your fingertips, literally. Um, The thing to remember with this is because we're talking about this as a hack. So this is something that can help you improve without expending way more time, right? We're wanting to kind of consolidate this so that we're not, you know, just learning forever and ever in this endless cycle. We're doing it on purpose. We're doing this, you know, um, in a way that honors the time that we have to give to learning so that we can continue to make books or paintings or whatever the case may be. So when it comes to this, when you go to YouTube, you know, have a plan, know what it is that you're needing to learn more about and really hone in on that. And also throwing back to the critique partner thing or just other friends that you might have in your medium, ask them if they've watched anything about, um, you know, whatever it is in particular you're looking for. Um, For writing, it could be something like, writing in present tense. Maybe that's something that you'd like to try you've never done before and you want to kind of get a crash course or, you know, just kind of get a little, a few pointers to go through. Um, perhaps you have an author friend who has done this before and you can ask them, hey, what did you look at? And they can tell you. So mm-hmm. things like that to where making sure that you're making the most of your time when you go there because it is so huge and you can get lost down the YouTube rabbit hole too. That's a thing as well. (laughs) Yes. 
Absolutely. And so anything that's going to get you closer to your goal, if you don't have to start all the way at point zero, anything that's going to get you closer, even if it's just one or two steps closer to the water that you want to dive into, <laughs> is the, safe, the safer it is. So if they have a particular channel that they like to, to go get their DIY stuff, like you, you want to know that kind of thing. And also realize, too, that if that person doesn't work out for you, that's okay. Maybe they don't really resonate with you, but that doesn't mean that the person's advice is bad or that person doesn't know what they're doing and that sort of thing. So just keep in, keep in mind that everybody's a little bit different. Everybody gets uh, different teaching methods that, uh, that resonate with them. So if it doesn't work out for you, that doesn't mean that you need to end that friendship immediately. Okay. (laughs) So one thing too, is like, you know, that's a lot of online stuff. And nowadays, even critique partners can can be done online. Joy and I are an online critique partner because she lives in one state and I live in another state. But we don't like it that way, but it is something that we have to do. <laughs> I wish you lived like next door. We could have like coffee and tea all the time. Awesome. But um, <laughs> wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes. So another thing that you can do if, if you don't learn well in a digital area or surroundings, and then you can look for an apprenticeship. So whatever your creative medium is, find somebody who's doing it and do it, doing it well. And someone you'd like to emulate or learn from, and then ask if you could follow them around for a little bit and see how it goes. Maybe, uh, maybe they need somebody to, I don't know, pick up metal scraps after they finish a project or something. Even if you're doing those, then the media work, kind of the gopher work, the grunt work, uh, you're still in the studio with them. You're getting to watch their techniques. You're getting to watch them um, make decisions right there on the spot and create art. And that's going to be really, really useful to your career as you move forward. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, another way of thinking of this <clears throat> would be creative shadowing. I feel like those are pretty similar. I remember when I got to go and hang out with a photographer friend of mine um, who lives here, and she had been doing portrait photography for a while, and that was something that I had just started getting into. And so I went and I spent a day with her. She did a bunch of mini sessions, and I hung out with her, I handed her equipment, you know, kind of did some things to help her out. But basically, I was just there to observe and to see how she handled um, all of her different clients and how she posed them and how she did all of her, you know, everything that she did that day was just something that I enjoyed watching. Yeah. So I kind of look at creative shadowing to be um, something that you might do earlier on as you're trying to decide what your creative medium is. Mm-hmm. You can creatively shadow quite a few different mediums and see if, if any of those uh, feel good to you. Apprenticeship, I think you would probably have narrowed that creative medium down to something pretty specific, maybe one or two different things. Mm-hmm. And then you you spend more than just a little bit of time with them. Like you would, you would probably spend weeks or months or maybe even a year to being an apprentice to see if you can live this life, you know, <laughs> and get really, really good at it. So, for 
whenever we're talking to students who haven't made a career choice yet, whenever they're getting into college, we do talk about job shadowing. And I feel like that this is a little bit like that, where it's like a day in the life of, or, you know, take your daughter to work day or something like that, Right. <laughs> where it's for like a minimum amount of time. I feel like that's where creative job shadowing, or, or sorry, creative shadowing comes in, but so very useful in deciding what creative medium you want to pursue for sure. And I forgot that uh, when we were talking about this, it completely just slipped my mind. I had the opportunity, um, a senior in high school wanted to come and shadow me for a day. And she was looking at being either a librarian, um, a writer, or an editor. Those were kind of the things that she was thinking about. So she came and spent an afternoon with me and I showed her, you know, some different things about editing and talked to her about writing and all of the different avenues that authors have these days and stuff like that. And so I hope it was helpful for her. It was a lot of fun for me just to like show somebody what I do and and answer questions. So mm-hmm. When I think too that you be- it benefits you as somebody who is hosting someone else mm-hmm. because you get to put words to things that might just be floating around in your head for a little bit. Yeah. And so I don't know. That's just a just a spit in the dark, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the next one too actually fall uh, flows along these lines as well. So if I had to rank them as far as um, as far as the amount of time that you spend with someone else, like creative shadowing would probably be the least amount of time. And then mentorship, I think would be the second least amount of time. And then apprenticeship that would be like the most amount of time that you would probably spend some with someone. So mentorship is what I'm going to talk about next. And it does kind of fit a little bit differently and I didn't order those very well. So I apologize folks. But mentorship is where you might spend some of that hard and heavy time at the beginning getting to know each other and getting to know the work and walking through steps with that that mentor or guide. But then eventually you're going to split off and do your own thing and start um, finding your own ways in that on that path. But it's somebody who you can go back to and ask questions and, and um, kind of sort things through, maybe brainstorm an idea or something, somebody that you can go back to when needed. And that's the mentorship that we're talking about there. That is an excellent efficiency hack for craft. Yeah. And the reason is there's so much trial and error and creativity, so much. And this, not, not to say that this is going to make your path super straight but what it will do is some of those little branches off of the path it will shut some of those doors down (laughs) and uh and help you as far as um seeing what seeing what really works in real time whereas if you are looking at a screen or if you're reading an article all of these things have happened in the past everything that you're reading is 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 has been has been <laughs> and it's happened in the past so um, what you're what you're doing is you're you're just making really good choices on how that you're learning and you're learning in the most real-time way as possible and there's so much benefit to that another uh, hack here that we have for you guys is method swaps okay so this is something where um, 
perhaps you are a writer and you have a little bit of artistic background and you're kind of thinking about if wondering if you could potentially illustrate one of your children's books and so maybe you find another artist who does something that you would like to learn like in this case in this example illustrating a book and um, have them teach you something maybe they are an illustrator and they would like to write a book okay so you can kind of swap what you know with what they know and you know both of you then have two things that you can do instead of just the one um, kind of a smaller example just within writing would be uh, if you know a writer who is phenomenal at writing short stories um, and perhaps you are really talented at writing um, maybe you do dialogue really well or something like that okay if you just spend a little time swapping the things that you do so well and helping the other person grow in that then boom mm -hmm. It's similar to the critique partners, but I feel like this is something where, you know, like in the case of the author illustrator thing, <clears throat> you could have two completely different mediums Medium. coming together. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea so much. And you can also think outside of mediums as well. So if you are an artist and you need business advice and you know somebody who's in the business world who needs a, a birthday gift for their wife or something, yeah. like, you can swap uh, methods that way too, where you're giving them something that's kind of like a barter system, I guess, a little bit more than a method swap, but you're giving them something that they need. And they're also, you know, paying you back in a way that is helpful to you as well. So there is that. Um, and I really love the, I love the example that you had about like dialogue and that sort of thing, because it is interesting too. Like if you are an artist in a particular kind of, um, I don't know, brushstroke or, or genre or something and then you want to start to learn another type of painting or something like you can definitely hook up with another artist who does that really well and who wants to learn more about what you do for sure I love method and, swaps I love learning so that yeah that's kind of my, my jam as far as that goes I feel like with this like it can even be like maybe you don't want to learn to actually do that other thing but you want to learn about that you know I think mm. that that's invaluable as well um, <clears throat> for example I know a writer friend who wrote an article about in fact it might have been a series of articles about glass blowing and so now she didn't learn to become a glass blower but she spent a lot of time with this individual and learned the process, learned, you know, all of this stuff that goes into glass blowing and just how intricate that is. And so her experience learning about that gave her this kind of random bit of knowledge that a lot of other writers may not have. So she could potentially have a character who is a glass blowing artist and mm -hmm. she would know a lot of things about how to write that character that she wouldn't have known otherwise. 
Yeah. Oh my goodness. I think about, um, I think about characteristics that a person would need to have in order to be a good glass blower, like patience and I don't know, gentleness or something, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, that would be so interesting and such good story fodder for sure. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. So another efficiency hack for craft is dictation or voice memo. So no matter your creative medium, I think this can be for you. And if you've not thought about it, if you're like, oh, I'm not a writer, so dictation's not going to work, it could. It could work for you. Because because one of the things that I love about dictation is that it is a place. It's like a bowl where it can catch all of my idea vomit. And not all of my ideas are writing ideas because I'm a multimedia artist, right? So it's like I have other ideas about different ways that I can be creative and like a theme for photography or, you know, illustrations or something like that. And you can grab all of that by recording a voice memo or you can talk a little bit slower and say your punctuation for dictation. So that does take a little bit of time to get used to. But at the end of the day, it's already typed out for you. And then if you're using it on your phone, uh, you can email that information to yourself and then put it into a document and just start start refining that idea without having to start with a blank slate. And that's really beneficial, especially for for writers and people who think on paper, like people who journal, things like that. So dictation and a voice memo. Another thing too is it just kind of gives you a little bit of a chance to multitask as well. So if you are somebody with a long commute, then you get to think about your art and you get to start making some good plans so that whenever you do get your hands on your uh, creative tools, then they are ready to work and your brain is already in that right place. And that is so very useful and such a great thing that technology can give us these days. That's great. I love that you shared that. And that's something that I would like to do more of, but I've already seen the benefits of it. So, Mm -hmm. so at work, and I know this is not about work, but (laughs) at work, I find that it's really helpful for email responses because that takes me, it takes me more time sometimes to type it all out than it is to just say it. So so it it can be really helpful in other ways too. Good to know. I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try that. I think that that would really help me because sometimes I do find myself spending a lot of time on emails when I could probably hack it and Mm -hmm. not spend as much time there. (laughs) So, all right, we've got one more hack for you this week with uh, efficiency for your craft. So, As writers, research is huge, and I know that this is the case with other creative mediums as well. Um, When we research, though, it's very easy to get lost down that rabbit hole, (laughs) the research rabbit hole. Um, What I have found that has been most helpful for me is to have research docs. So I will just pull up a Word doc and I will start putting all of my links that I'm going to as I'm researching. Um, But I don't just put the link. I try to write a little bit of a note of, okay, what did I find here? What, What was it about this link that was important enough for me to copy it and put it here? Um, Keep that going and 
keep it, um, keep adding to it as you go. Because when you go back for revisions, when you go back for editing, when you, if you're going to a publisher and they ask you, did you research this, you know, or, or whatever the case may be, you can say, yes, and here's what I found. And this is, this is the case. This is really accurate. This is, this is accurate to this time period or, you know, whatever the case may be that you are researching. Um, if you keep that all in one place, it's going to save you time in the long run. The other good thing about keeping a doc like this is you also have to make sure that you are staying on track and focused. So I will usually have another document open. So when I'm going through and I'm researching something, I will find something super cool that I want to research, but it's not for the story that I'm working on. And so I will take that and I will put it in another document and I will make sure that I label it well, that I save it in a place where I'll be able to find it. But I don't let myself get down that rabbit hole because it happens, right? So those are kind of the things that I do with research. And then also another thing is reminders. I have documents for this. So what I'm talking about here are things like your world building, your character guides, your setting details, your timelines, um, all of these things. I have documents for every one of these things. So obviously world building, you immediately think fantasy, which of course, any kind of fiction, you're going to have some form or fashion of world building. But for fantasy, you know, it's the world that you're building. It's all of the different, um, you're probably going to have some rough sketch of a map, even if you aren't good at drawing, you're probably going to have some little rough idea of, okay, there are mountains here, and there's an ocean or, you know, things like that. Um, you're going to know kind of the climate of the world that you're creating from scratch, um, you know, things like that. With character guides, it's you want to make sure that you remember that you have put a mole on the right temple of your character, right? Like these are the kinds of things that you've got to write down when you realize, okay, he cut himself and he needs to have a scar on the left cheek. Okay, make sure that you write that down because you're going to forget that you wrote left cheek, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so just things like that. Um, and then timelines are huge. So I just am very simple when it comes to this. Like I do a simple table on in a word doc and that's where I do my timelines but for my fiction timelines have been very important to keep up with and here I am on the fourth book in the collection and I have to know what my timelines were from the very first book that I wrote because they're all interconnected so if I hadn't kept up with this stuff I would be having a lot harder time writing things now than I did before so so I second all of that, except for I don't use a word doc. <laughs> <laughs> what do you use? Excel. You can actually oh. insert pictures into Excel too. So I'm a very visual uh, person and that's how I learn. That's how, that's how I like to, to plan things as well. So, um, so you can, I found different ways that you can like merge cells and you can do all kinds of fun stuff in Excel. But also what I love at the bottom is that you have all of these sheets. So you can uh, you can do a research sheet, you can do a character sheet, you can do all all of these different things on there. 
and keep all of that information all together in one file instead of 16 different files. And that's really helpful for me because I have this problem with hoarding a whole bunch of different files on my desktop. Like, that's, I'm, like I'm not, I'm not going to lose it if it's on my desktop, but then you can when there's 40 different files on your desktop. So, um, so I do, I use Excel and I like it. Um, I'm, I've been learning more and more about Excel too with my new position. And it's just been, it's one of those tools where it's like, you pretty much have it on your computer. Not, not that everybody, everybody's computer comes with it, but some sort of, some form of it. Cause even if you have Google drive, I think that you can, you can do a Excel file in there or some sort of file that's equivalent. But those sheets at the bottom have been really, really helpful with keeping a lot of different things in one place and in one file. And you can kind of just label it the project name instead of the different areas of the project. So that's been, that's been pretty cool. And then being able to input pictures and so on. So one way that you could use, uh, instead of a writing example, but you could use, um, if you're a painter, for example, and you have this project and you know that you want to link this project to a particular point in, in time and in history or something, all of those links could go in there. You could, um, you could even like copy and paste some of the images of the art of that time to see if you wanted to, um, use that as inspiration for the way that you're going to going to uh, memorialize this period of time in your art, what you're going to take as inspiration, what you're going to leave, how you're going to change it, you know, and have those ideas already kind of written down along with your research. That could be a second sheet, you know, uh, your research could be one sheet, your inspiration and how you would like to, to, to do some trials and see um, some test palettes would be really cool to be, to put in there. And then you could have that either as like PMS colors, or you could have just an example of colors that you're you know, inputting into those cells. You can move those around a lot easier. And then in my opinion, than you can in a word doc, but you know, to, to, again, what's going to work for me is not necessarily going to work for someone else, but I really do enjoy the flexibility that I have with Excel. Another set, uh, another software that a lot of people like is Scrivener. And I have, I've tried, I really want to love Scrivener. <laughs> I really, really do. <laughs> but it's just a bit more complicated than I'd like for it to be right now. So, and, and you know, I'm, I just got to get, I feel like if I get down to the nitty gritty of it and I'm able to find a good beginner course that I'm going to be able to love it. But as it is right now, it's just a little bit hard to to swap my mind, my old my old dog mind, <laughs> and help it learn a new trick. But um, but I did learn a little bit more about Excel, so maybe I'm starting to become a little bit more pliable with other software systems. So Excel is the way to go. Um, Word document is great if that's what you got. Then use what you got. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's nobody's poo pooing on Word, but. Um, but there might be something else that kind of fits your personality a little bit better if you want to try some new things. I always thought Excel was for numbers and it's, it's not just for numbers. Well, see, and I feel like my critique partner has something to teach me here because I <laughs> like the idea of Excel, but every time I open it up, it like totally and completely just sends me going, rah, and I get scared and run away. So <laughs> you can no, teach me what you've learned about it. And I can help you with Scrivener because I, while I have not used it a lot, I really love it. And I plan to switch to using it when I go to my fantasy 
series. So since I had already kind of started everything the way that I had with, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my first books, I just decided not to try to switch midstream. I felt like that Mm -hmm. would confuse me. So I do plan on switching to that though when I get to Mm -hmm. my fantasy series because they have where you can do the note cards, which the board behind me, if y'all are watching on YouTube, you see all these note cards up there on my board. So I can do that, but I can do it on my computer um, yes. it, within the same document with the, the book itself and all of that. So Yeah, and it will automatically make an outline as long as you had, you know, do your headers mm-hmm. and everything right. It, it does so many wonderful things. Like it sounds so wonderful. I just need mm-hmm. to figure out how to use it. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. And I would love for you to teach me. So absolutely. There you yes, go. Yes, ma'am. So you'll teach me Excel and I'll teach you Scrivener and that's our swap. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I do have one more efficiency hack that is actually not on our list, but it does, it does pertain to a Word document. So Mm -hmm. as I was writing my poetry book, I discovered the, the headers are so helpful in in a Word document. So speaking of outline, (laughs) that's kind of where it got me. Uh, In your Word document, you have a thing called a navigation plane that you can click on and view. And if you are using like header one, that would be like your first Roman numeral. And then header two would be like if you had a sub a subset of that Roman numeral, it would already be indented and everything. And then if you use header three, that would be the other subset of that subset. So it actually does kind of give you an outline and also it's hyperlinked as well. So if you wanted to, if you're writing something and it's going to be a long piece or if you need to skip to a particular chapter or something like that. So I had mine all divided into, uh, there are like five sections of my poetry book and then there are the poems underneath it. So I had all of those subsectioned out. I was able to use the navigation plane whenever I was, uh, I had a thought about how I needed to change something and maybe I had already edited it or gotten past that part. Then I could just scooch back up on the navigation plane, click on that particular poem. It would take me directly to that in the Word document. I could do that change real quick and then hit back where I was editing, like get back really quickly where I was editing. And so that would be something that I could fix super fast. Hmm. Whereas, you know, if I would have not done that, I would have had to scroll up 50 pages or something, try to figure out exactly where I was, try to remember what I was going to change and then remember where I was whenever I had the thought that I needed to change something. So (laughs) those headers are actually really, really helpful in the Word doc. And they also help with the formatting part because that's actually what they um, use, uh, formatters use to get your table of contents that's um, hyperlinked and stuff with your eBooks. So when you have all of those things set, then that's how that is all done. And it's a hack for that as well. So you just blew my mind. (laughs) You just blew my mind with that. I had no idea. Hmm. So if there are things that you do not want in your table of contents for your ebook, you can just take the header off. Yes. Yes. So Hmm. when things get formatted for an ebook, those headers are used intentionally. Yes. For a double purpose. So yes. Very interesting. Thank you. See, this is how, how would I have known that or learned that? I wouldn't have even thought to look it up. 
And see, so. and that's something that like I learned when I was going through my whole, oh, I can learn to be a formatter thing. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Anyway, <laughs> but I didn't think to, you know, share that with you. And so now I'm like, why didn't I tell her this a long time ago? So no, it well, because I had not written a book a long time ago and now I have. But anyway, the more you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Joy, are we ready for a QWERTY challenge? Yes, we are. So I think that this week's QWERTY challenge is going to be similar to the ones that we're doing with all of these hack episodes. Simply take one of these, figure out which one you think might work for you, might help you out, and give it a shot. See what it does for you. Um, Think of things also that you have done that have kind of been efficiency hacks for your craft um, and share those with somebody, you know, just like with the, with the headers, you know, I could have shared that with May a long time ago and it just didn't even dawn on me. So maybe something came to your mind and you have a good brand that you can share that with. Um, so yeah, I think that, that those would be a couple of challenges for you guys this week. Absolutely. And if we didn't hit your creative memory, uh, memory, (laughs) absolutely. And if we didn't hit your creative medium in this episode, look at the different uh, suggestions that we put here and see if there's a way that it can fit into your creative medium. And if it doesn't, then let us know. And maybe we can brainstorm with you about some efficiency hacks for your craft. And if it does, you know, that's awesome too. share it with a friend. Yeah. And let us know how things go this week. Yes, yes. (laughs) So have a great week. And go make something. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this episode encouraged you. Like all creatives, we thrive on consumer recommendations. So please consider leaving us a review and sharing our podcast with your creative friends. If you'd like to continue this conversation, visit us on our website at QWERTYWritingLife.com or on Instagram at QWERTYWritingLife.